For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I went to a Lutheran high school, and I remember this verse being written on a massive banner in my high school gymnasium, set up around the time of my high school graduation. Plans to give you peace, not disaster. Plans to give you hope and a future. I remember thinking, I wonder what this is. I wonder what God's plan is for my life. Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do in college? What am I going to do after college? Maybe you have similar thoughts right now about different things. Those of you who are graduating high school this year, or those of you about to make a move or start a new job, or even with a new baby. What are God's plans for your life? As I was transitioning to college, based on this passage, I had reason that if God says he has a plan for my life, then it's going to turn out exactly how it should, and and it's going to be great. Peace, no disaster, hope, a bright future. There's a problem. Peace, not disaster, God said. There are definitely things in my life that I would call disasters. Not everything turned out bright, and not everything will. So what gives? What's up with God's promise? Does this mean God's a liar? Well, no. See, there, there are two ways that I misunderstood this passage. What I didn't understand first was that this passage wasn't about me. It was about the nation of Israel. God had told them to follow his will, but they wanted to follow their own, thinking that no matter what they did, God would bless them. And so because of this, God promised and eventually did send them into captivity uh, by the nation of Babylon. Babylon served as God's instrument of rebuke, his means of punishment. The first part of this chapter, Jeremiah 29, is, is all about this. And then it's only after this, when the people are in exile, that God says, For I know the plans I have for you. Now, the last time I checked, I haven't been captured and taken into captivity by an ancient Mesopotamian empire. But with that said, this text does apply to us today, or else we wouldn't be using it, Right? It just doesn't apply in the same way. See, none of those things have happened to me literally, but they have spiritually. So here's the second way I misunderstood this. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a pleasant passage. Yes, it speaks of a, of a better future and God's plans for our prosperity, but those plans don't imply that, that God will bless us no matter what we do. If I don't treat something like a big deal and, and get careless things, probably aren't going to go well for me. The same is true for things that God has gone so far as to say that that we should do or shouldn't do. The Bible never promises that if you go your own way, or even if you follow God's ways, that, that God will make you prosperous no matter what. In fact, in our lives now, more often than we'd like to confess, we make bad decisions. We sin. We sin more, more than we even realize. And even the good things that we do are done in sin because we are sinners. We, like Israel, are in exile and bondage. Not to Babylon, but to sin. And where there's sin, there's usually consequences 
for sin. The good that we want to do, that we don't do, and the evil that we don't want to do, that we keep on doing. I'm not a robot controlled by God. I have the freedom to make the decisions about my life, which include bad decisions. Things like adultery, which will probably result in bad consequences. And conversely, because I am a sinner, I'm actually not free to do any good work for God at all. And so this affects prayer. I can't pray to him or seek him because I'm in bondage to sin. I am by nature dead in my trespasses and sins. In theological terms, we call this the, bondage, the freedom of the will and conversely the bondage of the will. If you've been in Bible study the last couple of weeks, this should sound familiar to you. But this was the opposite of what I had originally believed Jeremiah to be saying. It's the opposite of how we naturally think. Naturally, on the one hand, we, we think that we have the freedom to accept God. We have the freedom to call upon God. And so that's why God blesses us, because I ask him. God bends to my will. We think that that's why I became a Christian, because I prayed to him. I decided for him. We think that we have the freedom and ability to seek God and find him. And on the other hand, here on earth with my life, that God is going to direct my life to work out to be prosperous and awesome no matter what I do. So in other words, that we don't have freedom regarding our lives now because well, we've heard it, God's in control. But I do have control over my spiritual life and my life to come. But see, the Bible teaches the exact opposite. The old theologians came up with a way of talking about this. They said that we have free will regarding things below me. I am free to marry whom I wish. I'm free to eat what I want for lunch. I'm free to, to go to college or not and where to go to college. But I only have these freedoms in a limited sense. I'm free to marry whom I want as long as that person that I ask says yes. I'm free to have what I want for lunch as long as what I want for lunch is on the menu. So I have freedom regarding things below me. But my will is bound regarding things above me. So I don't have the ability to call upon God to pray to him or seek him naturally because I am by nature dead in my trespasses and sins. In fact, that's the reason why we baptize. That's the solution. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. Infants, too, are born in sin. We all inherit the sinful nature of Adam. And through baptism, God rescues us. If I had just read a little bit further in Jeremiah, I maybe would have understood this. Jeremiah writes that after God says he has plans for us and will deliver us, then you will call on me and come to pray to me and I will listen to you. In other words, only after God delivers us could we call on him? Only after God saves us could we pray to him. Only then, through Jesus, would God listen. By nature, my will is not free to call upon God. It's bound to sin and by sin. But just as God saved the Israelites from their bondage and slavery and exile in Babylon, so God saves us from the bondage of our sin. 
So God promises to hear us not because of anything that we do. Not because I got myself baptized or made the decision to get baptized. Not because I pray to him, but because he loves us. And because he's redeemed us in Christ. Through your baptisms, Jesus has claimed you as his own. He set you apart. And he made you sons of God with him. And with him, he's given you access to the Father. Because God has worked through the water and the word in baptism, you are free to pray to him. God continues, When you seek me, you will find me. When you will seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me declares the Lord. I will bring you back from your exile. God lets us find him. Just think of how silly we might seem sometimes to God. A, player, a parent playing hide and seek with their three-year-old child, what do they do? They let their child find them, right? But the child is so proud because they did it all themselves. We sometimes get proud in ourselves and we think that we must have done something right for God to hear our prayer and listen to us. But we had nothing to do with it. Jesus said in our gospel lesson, in that day you will ask in my name and, and will be heard for the Father himself loves you. God commands us to pray and God wants to hear from us not because we pray, because of his love in Christ. So now let's go back to verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you peace, not disaster. Plans to give you hope and a future. This really is another truth about prayer. God knows everything, including everything that you need. Even before we ask. But I'm tempted to read in this that I don't need to pray. If God knows everything, and if God knows everything that's going to happen, there's no use in praying. Jesus says the exact opposite. That's what he teaches us by giving us the Lord's Prayer. Because God knows everything that you need, including, uh, or everything, including everything that you need, therefore, pray. Sponsors and, and parents of Lucas, this really is your first and primary responsibility for Lucas. We don't know Lucas earthly future, what, what Lucas' earthly future holds. You do know that he has a will bound to sin. You do know that he will need Christian counsel and guidance. You know that by nature he will make bad decisions in his life too. And so you really, you have, you have three options. Uh, the first is do nothing. Uh, act like it's no big deal. You could, after today, you could, you could go home and never pray to him or pray for him. Uh, read God's word to him. Never review the chief teachings of the Christian faith. Never talk about Jesus. You are free to do all of those things. But that's not a good idea, and I, I think you know that. Because there's no more important thing than eternal life. So here's option two. You could worry constantly. But that's not good for you, and it really doesn't do any good. So here's option three. You could pray for him. You could teach God's word to him. And when he sins and fails, you can forgive him. And when you sin and fail, you can ask him and God to forgive you 
You can ask that God would give you the tools that you need to bring him up in the Christian faith and the faith to trust that, that God will do what you are unable to do. That's God's will for you. That's God's will for Lucas. Because he, to, he himself has said it and told you to pray for it in the Lord's Prayer. God wants his kingdom to come, which includes even in your own family. God wants to forgive your trespasses as you forgive others, which includes even your own family members. And God desires to give Lucas, as well as you parents and sponsors, and, and all of you, peace, hope, and a future. The future may not be your dream job or a perfect life. The future is heaven. But you're not there yet, so God wants you to pray. He wants you to pray for your life now, for help in making good decisions, for help in staying away from sin, and for forgiveness when we don't. And God does and will help us just as he helped Israel. He will deliver us from evil, which means, as God says in Jeremiah, I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I sent you as exiles. I will bring you back from the, to the place from which I sent you into exile. God will at last graciously take us from this valley of sorrow, from this world of our exile and bondage to sin, to himself in heaven. That's God's will for your life. And so you are free and can be confident to pray for all of this because Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning. It is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.